whether we had an imperfect representation here on earth or whether we had someone who sought after you, Father. I pray that regardless, we would look to you as the example of what a father is, what a father does, and what a father means. Father, we thank you for sacrificing your son so that we could be called your children and be welcomed into the family. pray that as we hear from your word, as we reflect on our own story of being welcomed into that family, Father, that we would be motivated and uh, encouraged to reach out to the lost who are not yet part of your family and call you as Father. Father, I pray that in all things you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, amen. You be seated. Thanks, Dan and team. Hey, kids, hold on, kids. Before you leave, I know you always run back really quick. I want you to stay here. All right, just for a second. Good job. Come on back. All right, you know, kids, there are some very important people in the house today. I happen to be one of them, all right? We have the fathers in the house, okay? So, kids, can we give it up for our dads today, huh? There we go. All right, hold on, hold on. I think most of the adults were clapping, but some of the adults didn't get in on that. So how about kids and adults? Let's give it up for the dads today. Thank you. That's a little better. A little better. All right. Hey, kids, hang on, hang on, hang on. What I want to do is pray for our dads. All right. So if I could get all the dads, if you're a dad in any way, shape, or form, please stand up. And let's pray for our dads today that God would give them strength to be the best dads they can be, and be awesome for each one of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the dads in our midst. God, we understand that every one of us carry a heavy weight of responsibility and yet an immense privilege to love and serve our families and particularly our kids. And so, God, we know that there's not a perfect father in this room, that God, you are the only perfect father, but God, help us to seek to emulate your heart in every good thing that we see in you. God, help us to seek to reflect that to our children. God, I pray for an awesome year in the families of Redemption Hill. I pray for an awesome year in the lives of these dads, that you would work in them and that you would grow them to be like Jesus and that you would work through them to be a conduit of grace and to show Jesus to each and every one that they come in contact with. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, thanks. Now, kids, you can go back to be at Redemption Kids and to have an awesome time down there. And the rest of you, big kids, can open up to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 4 today, so that's in the back of the Old Testament. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, it's page 775. And um, if you don't own a Bible and you'd like a Bible, you can take this as a gift from Redemption Hill. Um, so we would love for you to do that. And as, uh, as our kids are dismissed, I want to just open with a thought. Um, what if we were to see uh, any one of these fathers be removed from their families? Think about that. I know, that's, I know it's a sobering thought. It's not the best thought to, to share on a Father's Day, but sometimes we need uh, thoughts that are more helpful, right, uh, to, to kind of reflect on. So if we were to take any one of these fathers out of the lives of their children, out of the lives of their family, there would be some very grave consequences, right? 
I mean, you think about the, the love that fathers are to give to their children. You think about the ways that fathers are to serve their family on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. You think about the confidence and even the security that comes from the presence of a father in the life of a child. These, these matters are paramount, right? And so there's no question. It's Father's Day today. We could say the same thing about mothers, right? Kids need fathers and mothers in their lives. They need those that if they're not privileged to have both a a father and a mother, that that they would have those in their life that would play that role. And we really love foster care in our church and uh, continue to seek to promote that as a way to love and serve our city and to be uh, on mission to reflect God's heart and caring for children. And so I think we should be grateful, right, for the fathers in our lives And we should seek to be the best dads that we could be, right? We should love with everything we have to be the kind of dads that God has called us to be. Now, the reason I ask that question, what would happen if a father is taken out of a family? Believe it or not, this is kind of the mentality, the kind of the direction of a question that we sought to ask when we started Redemption Hill Church back a little more than six years ago. And so as we were starting this new church in Medford with just a few people, we had seven adults on our core team, leadership team, and we just said, hey, what would it look like for us to seek to establish a church that because of the way we loved and served our city, that people would have to take notice. And in fact, if there ever came a day that Redemption Hill was no longer in Medford, that the city would notice and the city would grieve because there would be a significant loss. There would be a gap because we are loving and serving our city so effectively. We're reaching out. We're seeking to give ourselves away for the sake of others. We're seeking to put others before ourselves. We're seeking to meet felt needs around us. This is what we've sought to do from the very beginning. And so this week is Serve Medford Week. Now, um, we have had an approach to loving and serving our city that we've always called Serve Medford. What is Serve Medford? Serve Medford is simply seeking to put others before ourselves in the way that Jesus did. Because Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to be served, okay, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so as we see that example in Jesus, we've just said, hey, we want to do the same. We want to to take the posture of a servant and to meet needs in our community with no strings attached, okay? In other words, like we're going to do this whether you come to our church or not. Like, of course, we would love for everyone in our city. That's why we have, uh, you know, a, a huge space here to continue to grow as a church because we want hundreds of people, hundreds of our neighbors in and around Medford to come and be a part of Redemption Hill. But even if they never came, we would still put on soccer nights, a free clinic for kids ages 5 to 12 in July. We would still do food and clothing drives for those in need. We would still host ESL classes like we have in the past. We would still give Thanksgiving meals away every Thanksgiving. We would still partner with the Boys and Girls Club and provide volunteers and beautify their space and serve the the leaders and the kids in different ways. We would still put on extravaganzas. We would still seek to to do all of this, including Serve Medford Week, which today is the kickoff of Serve Medford Week. 
And so Medford Week is about blitzing our community with different acts of kindness and love. This year, we're doing something a little different. We're going to focus our efforts on Berry Park, just about a half a mile from here, near Medford Square in the hillside neighborhood of Medford. And we're going to beautify the playground. We're going to uh, clean up the baseball fields. We're going to have different giveaways there. We're going to um, play, play basketball with kids, okay? We're going to put on a movie night at the end of the week. A lot of different opportunities to love and serve our neighbors with the love of Christ. Now, as we think about Serve Med for a week, I just want to answer a few questions, maybe offer a few points of clarity for you as we, because you hear us talk a lot about Serve Medford, okay? So not everyone in our church lives in Medford, okay? And, and we understand that, and we are happy about that, because we not only want to be a church for Medford, but we want to be a church for our surrounding cities, okay? That's why we talk a lot about Medford and greater Boston, okay? And we want to see the gospel not only impact Medford, but every city and town around Medford. And so even if you don't live in Medford, we hope that you will serve Medford with us. We hope that you will, like, like, like you said, why Medford? Tanner, why have the pastors? Why have leadership? Why have we always serve Medford? Well, we just recognize that we have limited time and resources, right? And so we want to invest our best efforts where God has placed us, hoping and expecting that other Jesus-loving churches will do the same where God has placed them. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility in part for the other cities around us. So our vision and desire is that our small groups would love and serve the place. We have small groups in Somerville and Melrose. We've had, um, you know, we're, we're planning to expand into Malden. We, we're in Arlington. Um, so, so where our small groups are, we're hoping that they're loving and serving those neighborhoods and cities. But then, of course, we have individuals that live in all of these cities around Medford. And so just as we are going about our business, Serve Medford is not just an event, right? It's not just a week. Serve Medford is a lifestyle. And so wherever God places me throughout my week, whether I'm hanging out in Medford, I'm hanging out in Cambridge, where, like I should be about the business of loving and serving people, putting others before myself, finding ways to meet practical needs around me. And so Added to that, just one other point, okay, it's not, just, it's not just Medford, although Medford is our focus. It's not just a corporate thing, like everyone's invited this week to participate, but we want to push that down to the personal level. But, but it's also the, the heavy emphasis of serving Medford is on displaying the gospel, right, because as we serve, we show Jesus to our city. But the hope is that as we're out and about serving, we then have the opportunity to share about Jesus. So that's why you always hear us talk about display the gospel and declare the gospel. And we have to apply that wisely, right? Like, we don't go in and serve the kids of the Boys and Girls Club on their clock and start a Bible study, okay? Like, that's not their agenda, the Boys and Girls Club. That wouldn't be appropriate, right? But we certainly, as we build relationships and people ask, hey, why do you guys do this? Why do you spend so much time and investment in terms of energy and finances to serve your city? We're saying, well, Jesus has changed our life, and he's the supreme example of how we should put others before ourselves, and so we want to do that this week, right? We may not tell people about every person that comes into Berry Park this week about Jesus, but we hope to tell many of them about Jesus and invite them to join us on a Sunday. 
And so this is our goal. This is our hope. And yet, if, if I were to have a conversation with each one of you individually, and I was to say, hey, what does it look like in your life? How are you actively loving and serving those around you? How are you taking time out to be a good citizen and live as part of the city of God in the city of man? Remember, Jesus said, you're a light, on the world, a light of the world, a city on a hill can't be hidden, right? So, so how are you seeking to do that where God has placed you? I suppose that if you're like me, there will be times in your life where you say, you know what, Tanner, I get a little self-focused. I get a little too busy with my agenda. My plans start to, to get the better of me, and, and, and I fail to put others before myself and take that posture of a servant. And really, this is, in a small way, we see actually in a much bigger way, this is exactly what's going on with this character named Jonah. Jonah was God's representative. He was God's prophet, okay? That means he was God's spokesman who was to take God's message to people as God told him to. But we have seen from the very beginning of Jonah that Jonah was more focused on his own agenda rather than being a servant of God's agenda. He was more restrictive with who he would love and serve rather than distributing God's relentless and scandalous mercy to anyone he came in contact with. And so as we jump into Jonah 4, as we finish this book today, I hope that you will see this call, okay, to reflect God's heart as we live in God's city. Simple as that. Reflect God's heart as we live in God's city. And so if you would follow along with me as I read all 11 verses of chapter 4 in the book of Jonah. This is what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Right, now let me just pause right there. I'm just going to push the pause button, all right? So um, what is he upset about? He's upset about what happened in chapter 3, and you can see that just the headings help us out oftentimes to get a quick summary of what's going on. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He fulfills the assignment that he didn't fulfill in chapter 1, all right? And he tells them, hey, if you don't turn back to God, if you don't turn rather to God and, you know, turn from your wicked ways, then God's going to overturn your city. He's going he's to destroy your city, but it says that the people of Nineveh repented. It means that they turned from their wicked ways and they turned to God's ways in these moments. So Jonah is not happy about that. It goes on and says in, in verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said this, don't miss this. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. What we have going on here in Jonah chapter 4 is the final episode of this epic tug of war between God and Jonah. Okay, so we would expect that if Jonah's God's prophet, that Jonah would align himself with God's intentions and he would be side by side with God saying, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, hey, I'm on my way. I'm going to fulfill that mission and I'm going to be about your business. But rather than being side by side with God, Jonah is toe to toe against God. And he's saying, God, look, you know, you called me to go to Nineveh. No thanks, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going as far away as I can because I don't want to see these people known as the Ninevites, a very wicked city. I don't want to see them uh, receive mercy. No way. And we saw that God pursued Jonah, right? He, he, he chased him with a storm and then he chased him with a great fish and Jonah was swallowed by this great fish. And in that moment, Jonah said, you know what, God, I've blown it. I, I, I need your salvation. I need your deliverance. I want to change. And God gives Jonah a second chance. He says, hey, go, go to Nineveh and give them my message. And so the second time Jonah obeys, all right, and we think that they're on the same side, but now Jonah has reverted back to his old ways. He's upset about what God is doing, how God is truly relenting from this disaster that Jonah believes they deserved. It says in verse 1 that he was exceedingly angry, exceedingly displeased. Our our three-year-old Jordan, her name is is Jordan, and um, she is doing this, like, awesome thing. You know, kids come up with different, you know, little words and actions and stuff. And so uh, we're out Wednesday night, I think it was. Uh, We grilled a couple burgers. Some of you like my uh, burger on Facebook. That was like the best burger that I've ever made in my life, okay? So like, if you have expectations that I turn those burgers out like that every single time and you want to get invited over, I'm just saying, you know, I'll do my best, but I'm not that good normally. All right, so anyway, so we're out there. We're enjoying, you know, the, you know, the deck and, and just, you know, having a nice night. And, uh, and Jordan, she's not eating a burger, okay? She isn't ready for those yet. But she is eating some corn, okay? So what you need to know about Jordan is Jordan's been on a restrictive diet. She's had digestive, you know, issues. And so we've kind of introduced food slowly to her. But she's, like, amazed by the taste of corn. Like, I don't know if you like corn or not, but Jordan likes corn. In fact, she's sitting there and she says, I super like it. 
And she's saying, I mean, it's awesome, isn't it? Awesome. You want to hear her say that. You can come over and listen to Jordan talk. I mean, it's just amazing. Like, she loves her toothpaste, her bubblegum toothpaste. So she's like, super like it, Daddy. You know, it's just awesome. Um, so, 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 so Jonah here, he is like super, all right, displeased by what God is doing here by relenting from his anger. And I don't know about you, but we're just saying like, okay, Jonah, like, isn't this what you expected? Actually, it was what Jonah expected. But, but if he went there to fulfill that message, then Jonah should be not displeased. He should be like super pleased, right? Like he should be elated. Jonah should be so pumped up about what God is doing that rather than going and sitting east of the city to see if God will maybe like change his mind, okay, Jonah should be going back down into Nineveh and starting some discipleship programs. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, if you're turning to God, let me show you what it looks like to follow God. Let me show you what it looks like to get in some small groups maybe, you know what I'm saying? Start some community groups in Nineveh. Hey, how about a serve Nineveh week, Ninevites? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, Jonah should have been all about it. And Jonah's all upset because deep down he was still holding on to his old views, his old prejudices, his old misperceptions, and how he thought the love of God was limited or should be limited. And so as we think about this story here, this amazing story, this instructive story, I just want to give us two encouragements that that arise out of this this story, okay, that are applied to us where we are, okay? Number one, let's see, see Boston as God sees Boston, all right? Let's see Boston. Let's see Metro. Let's see our cities, where God has placed us. Let's see them as God sees them. And and we say, like, how how did God see Nineveh? And if God's seeing Nineveh this way, I think we can safely assume that God is not changing, right? That he is who he is. His character is is unified and perfect and eternal. Okay, so God is is still looking at this mass of humanity, right? Like almost 7 billion people on the face of the planet and all of these cities. And he is having the same heart today that he had back then. And what was God's heart? Well, Jonah knew because in verse 2, he says it. He's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, I knew this is what was going to happen. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. I knew that you are, listen to this, at the end of verse 2, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You know what Jonah's doing? Like, Do you think Jonah grabbed this out of thin air? Oh, God, you must be like this. No, Jonah belonged to the people of Israel whom God revealed himself to. And when God revealed himself to Moses and gave him his name, his memorial name, Yahweh, all right, he said what in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7? It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is what God said about himself. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so what I want us to think about, let's just slow down here, all right? This is who God is. You, you follow me? Like, this is who God is. He doesn't change. Thank you. 
Not, not, a, not a bit. So, so, so you're going to be in conversations with people. You may have thought this yourself at some point, not hating if you, like, I did, I think, too. Um, like, the God of the New Testament, all love, all grace, wouldn't say, a, you know, a thing that could hurt someone's feelings ever, right? And then you have the God of the Old Testament. He's different. He seems a little angry. He seems a little vengeful, vindictive, right? And so... The God of the Old Testament must be different than the God of the New Testament. But what we find in the Bible is that God is God. God is. He is who he is and he will always be who he is. He was full of grace and mercy and patience and steadfast love. Before Jesus arrived and revealed who God is. Like, why did Jesus come, by the way? You want a little Christology? Sorry for the big term, but that's just the study of Christ, okay? Like, Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. He came to make God known. This God who we read about here in Exodus 34 and Jonah 4. And so Jesus, in, 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 a, in, in, in a converse sense, um, Jesus also shows us that God is still holy in the New Testament. God still has to judge our sin, all right? Just like he did in the Old Testament, God is the same in the New Testament. And yet, what do we, what do we learn about this guy? Like if you're saying, Tanner, how do, if, if God is seeing Boston, how is he seeing Boston? I would just just follow this verse right here. God is looking at Boston through gracious eyes. All right? God is looking at Boston through gracious eyes. He is a gracious God. In other words, God gives us what we do not deserve. He gives it to us. And so God is willing, no matter, listen to me, no matter who you are, what you've done, how low you have gone, okay? No one in this room is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. And listen, because God is holy, all right, because God has no flaws, he's never done anything wrong, okay? Our sinfulness, okay, our rebellion, how we have not gone after God's ways, how we have rebelled against him, okay, that sin amasses an enormous pile of debt that we could never repay to God. We can never do enough good things. A popular theology, like I'll do enough good things and God will accept me. I mean, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and I can kind of get this pile down a little bit from the good things that I try to put on top of all this messed up stuff in my life, all right? But here's what, here's what God does. He takes that pile of debt and he gets Jesus to die for our sin on the cross so that that pile of debt is removed and done away with. It's leveled. But even beyond that, God doesn't stop there. God takes that debt and he removes it and then he gives us incalculable wealth in its place that we can never lose. That's, that's the good news of Jesus, okay? Like, God removes the debt that we can never pay on our own, and then he gives us the same standing that Jesus has before God the Father. God gives us that, and we have now riches that we can never lose. 
amazing. God is a gracious God. He is also a merciful God. Mercy is, is similar to grace. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding what we do deserve. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve to be punished for our sin. We, we deserve to, to, you know, like, this is like we disciplined on Father's Day, right? Like, you ever had a, dad's ever had to discipline your kids? You do that again, time out. You do that again, losing privileges. You do that again. You sort that out as dads in your homes. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Some of you know where I'm thinking about that. Um, so, right? But sometimes we're merciful. Hey, you, you deserve that, but, but let me give you a little mercy here. Let me pour on a little grace on top of that. God is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. And, 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 and this story here in Jonah chapter 4, it reminds me of one of the stories in the New Testament I think is the most helpful in terms of understanding God's heart. If Jonah is about understanding God's heart, and if Jonah is about understanding the mercy of God, then this story in the New Testament in Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard of this or you've heard bits and pieces, okay? There was a son who wanted to just go out and do what he wanted to do. So he went to his father and he said, hey, dad, can I have my inheritance? It's a good story for Father's Day, right? So um, he says, hey, can I have my inheritance? And what we don't understand in 21st century is like to do that in the first century was the height of disrespect to one's father. But the father graciously gives him the inheritance. He doesn't withhold it. He gives it to him, and the son goes out and he squanders it recklessly. Okay, that's where we get the word prodigal from. He spends it recklessly on prostitutes and all kinds of immoral things to the point where he is out of money, and he is so hungry that he's like, man, I just wish I could eat what the pigs eat. And God uses that to bring him to his senses. And so as we hear that story of the prodigal son, most of the time we think it's just about one person, the son. But the story is about this son who has a father that would not only give him the inheritance, but when the son returns home, the father would do something else that was highly surprising in the first century. He would actually run to his son to embrace him, to offer forgiveness, to give him mercy, to offer a celebration because this one son who was lost is now found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Have you heard this story? We're all prodigals here. We all need a loving father to run after us. But the story doesn't end there. Like for the longest time, I thought it was like one character, and then I thought it was like a two-character story. But if you keep reading, there's a third character. And the third character is an older brother. And this older brother hears what's going on. He comes in from the fields. He's like, what's all the commotion about? Why is there a party? No one invited me. Okay, I missed the memo. Something must have happened very suddenly. Okay, this is my, you know, place after all. I'm a part of this family. And so the news gets to him that your younger brother is home and his, the father, your father has offered this great celebration for him. And the, the older brother, what does he do? He pulls a Jonah. No way. He doesn't deserve it. Surely my father would give me that kind of celebration because after all, I've done, I've done all these things for him and how could he be so abundant in his love and patience and mercy and grace to welcome this son home? And as we hear the story of the prodigal son, and as we look at this story of Jonah, if we're being honest, 
We all have a Jonah inside of us. We all have an older brother looking back in the mirror saying, God, surely you wouldn't be gracious to them. God, God, surely, like, I know you were merciful to me. I'm so thankful. Like, thank you, but you, you, like, you couldn't be that merciful to that person or that group of people. But our God is a merciful God. He's patient. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. This word, steadfast love, is the word chesed. Okay, that's why we named our daughter, second daughter, chesed, all right? 240 times, over 240 times in the Old Testament. It means steadfast love, mercy, loving kindness. And not only that, we see that God is also a compassionate God. Some, some translations will uh, take this word that we find in verses 10 and 11, and instead of pity, it will say compassion. It should be, should be translated either way. That, that God has a concern, a nurturing concern for all people. That, that, that God, what, what did Elizabeth Actemeyer, an Old Testament scholar, uh, she said that pity is action moving forward with tears pretty good. God is, a, God is a compassionate God. Okay, He has tears in his eyes over the brokenness in our lives, even the brokenness against him, so much so that he'll go and do something about it to change these people's lives. But, but Jonah didn't have compassion. Jonah was filled with anger, and I think it's helpful just to consider the anger of Jonah versus the compassion of God, because this is where this whole thing, this whole story climaxes. We see in verses 3 and 4, he says to God, hey, it's better for me to die than to live. And I mean, you know, God could have just said, all right, Jonah, if that's what you want, that's what you get. But, But God is a a gracious and merciful God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And so like a good friend, okay, God asked Jonah a question. Hey, should you be, should you be so angry? Is it right that your anger is that intense? I mean, like, so, so a, a good question will help someone kind of look within, be introspective, evaluate their ways, see if their thinking is rational, right? This is what good counselors do. They offer questions. They help people think about what's going on in their lives. And, and, and Jonah presses forward. He doesn't get it. He doesn't stop, okay? He just is moving forward so much so that the story continues and he goes out of the city hoping that God would reconsider. But God is not only wanting to change the Ninevites, he's wanting to change Jonah still. And so God provides this plant to protect Jonah from the scorching heat and sun there in that desert land. And Jonah is so happy about it, right? Like the things that should please Jonah don't please him. And the things that are more inconsequential, man, they just fire him up, right? So so Jonah is so pumped up about the plant. And then the very next morning, God takes it away. And so you can imagine what Jonah, like, is, you think Jonah, like, Jonah is exceedingly displeased again. Hey, God, you took my plant. I just want to die again. <laughs> like, it's like, this is like a tragic comedy, right? Like, is, is that how you say it? I think I busted that out. But anyway, you get the point, right? Like, it, it's, it's, it's comedic, but it's, it's, it would be so funny if, if it weren't so tragic, right? A tragic comedy, is that it? Thank you. 
There we go. You, you arts majors need to help me out. All right, so, so, so it's just like, what? Like it's almost too much to believe that Jonah and God are having this conversation. And yet God is gracious with Jonah once again. He, he says, hey, Jonah, we're talking about a plant here. Are you that upset about the plant? And Jonah says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm that upset. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to die because I'm that upset. And then what God does is he lowers his gracious boom on Jonah in verses 10 and 11. And he says, look, hey, you pity the plant. You, you didn't do anything to make it grow. I provided that plant for you. You're so upset about it. Hey, hey, what about how I have pity, how I have compassion, how I have concern? You're concerned about a plant. I'm concerned about 120,000 people in this city. Don't you see the disconnect, John? Listen, if you're, if you're prone to anger, I would encourage you to read the story of Jonah. What a, what a great case study on anger. What a great case study on patience and compassion, the antithesis of anger. Think about just some of these characteristics. Anger is reactionary. Something happens, man, we just pop off, right? Compassion is responsive. It sees what's happening. It sees a need and it responds to that need. Anger is most often against someone, right? But compassion, there is a coming alongside and being with someone. Anger, typically, not always, there's actually even a righteous form of anger. We can't get into that today, but just being angry with what would anger God. That's, that's God-centered anger, right? Un, un, injustice, unrighteousness. There we go. That's enough. Anger is often self-centered, right? But compassion is God-centered. It's other-centered. And then anger is marked by often irrational action. But compassion is marked by strategic, measured action. It's thoughtful. It's looking out for the betterment of others. And so as we think about everything that's going on here, I love how, look, Jonah is seeing problems. God is seeing potential. Jonah sees how messed up they are. He doesn't think they could ever change. He doesn't think they deserve to change. But God is looking past. That's what I love about God. And think about where you are today in your spiritual journey. You may be messed up. You may be at the end of your rope. You may think you have it all together, but you're learning, hey, I don't really have it all together. And would God even accept me? Listen, God is a realist. He doesn't sweep our sin under the rug. He doesn't say, hey, you're all good. You don't have any problems. You have problems, but I see past your problems to the potential that I can take you and make you through my transforming grace. That's what repentance is about. John explained it so well last week. We're going this way. We see how foolish it is, how it's not leading us anywhere. And so we turn back to God and we say, God, hey, would you forgive me for all those problems? Would you forgive me for all that mess and sin that I sinned against you? And now would you forgive me and offer me a new life and change me so that I'll live differently? And that's exactly what happens for us because of what Jesus did. And so as we think about Jonah, we can't help but think about Jesus. Because Jonah was angry and Jonah didn't display an ounce of compassion. And yet, what does it say about Jesus in Luke chapter 19? It says that when he saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. He was filled with compassion. 
And he said, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. You see, you see what, what's happening here? Jesus sees the way things ought to be. That's what that term peace is, is referring to, like God's shalom, God's peace, God's design, the way that it ought to be. And Jesus sees the gap between the way things ought to be, the problems and the brokenness, and the way things are, and it absolutely crushed him. It broke his heart. And so I don't know about you guys, but I'm just reading, I'm just reading Luke chapter 19. And I'm saying, like, where are my tears? Where's my broken? I mean, come to church, man, I read my, you know. But, but do I share, like, do I share God's heart in that way? That's why this week we chose a verse for our meta memo. It just means a verse that we want to think about, meditate on, and even maybe memorize, like, know it by heart. It's on the bottom of your worship guide on the back side. It's Romans 9, 2, and 3. You can look at it if you have your worship guide there. You can grab one on your way out. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is like where Paul's living. Not a, not a Jonah, more like a Jesus, okay? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. He's thinking in the realm of impossibilities. Like, even if that could happen somehow, if I could trade my salvation for their judgment and condemnation, I would do it. And in the past year, as God has wrought me with these verses, I've just, this is where this, is where this prayer was born out of for me in the past year. God, break my heart like your heart breaks for people. God, give me your sorrow. God, give me your love. God, give me your compassion. God, give us your heart. I hope you are taking that prayer. We talked about it week one, week two, week three, now week four in Jonah. Like, if we get nothing else from this series, can we just walk away with this prayer? God, give us your heart. God, like, pray that for one another. God, give them your heart. See Boston. As God sees Boston. And then, and then if, like, so if this is the way we view the city, like God is viewing our city, it just asks, begs the question, then what do we do? Like how does our attitude move us to action? Which then the second encouragement is this. Love Boston with God's relentless love. We, we, we've seen the end of the chapter. God says, hey, should I not pity Nineveh? That great city. Did you know that God calls Nineveh this wicked, pagan city? The word pagan just means a group of people that are far from God, that don't know God, that don't love God, that don't worship God, okay? He's calling Nineveh four different times a great city. Why was Nineveh great to God? Why was Nineveh important to God? Why was Nineveh a city that concerned God and was on God's heart? Well, I think in part it's because of the reason that every city is on God's heart. God loves cities because cities are filled with what? Genius. You guys are awesome. People. That's right. People. One of the largest cities in that area of the world who were clearly, like, clearly immoral, like, didn't know God, didn't love God, didn't want to follow his ways is what it means when they say they don't know their left from their right. And yet God loves them. I mean, we live in a city where in the greater Boston area, there are over 5 million people. 
And then some have kind of quipped and, and said, like, we know that God loves the city more than he loves rural areas because God loves people more than he loves plants. And, I mean, of course, God loves rural areas and he loves places outside of cities, but, but don't you think God has a special concern for cities? And he, and he interrogates Jonah again, and he just asks a very logical question. Hey, like, you're, you're so upset about this plant. You should be more concerned with people. But, but even think about, like, what did you do for that plant? Did you make it grow? Did you make any kind of investment in that plant? The answer is no. And so God is saying, look, these people belong to me. I made these people. These people are made in my image. I want them to know me, John. And so the kind of piercing question that I ask myself is, like, am I sharing God's heart? And if I'm not sharing God's heart, perhaps it's because I'm not invested in people the way that God is invested in people. I mean, check out this picture of, of my lawn, okay? Um, just just a, a month and a half ago, this is what my lawn looked like, all right? That's sorry, man. It's just like, that's just, that's sad. That's sad. But look at this today. Come on, right there. Uh, that's, that's bluegrass, all right? That's Kentucky bluegrass. That's where I'm from. And so I don't care if it doesn't grow well in the, in the shade. I put my whole yard in bluegrass. I'm paying for it in the backyard. I've got to reseed, all right? But the front yard is looking good because it got a lot of sun. And now here's the point, all right? I love my yard. I am so passionate about when I was out there watering it, you know what I'm saying? Man, I was talking to those blades. Rise up, blade. Like, you're looking good. You're going to look better tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I mean, investment. I care about it because I put so much time and effort and so tilled up the whole thing. See, like, I read so many articles and blogs that said the exact same things. You ever done this before? Like, I read like 10 or 12, you know, just in case I got a, you know, a, a, a 12th opinion that, that, Differed from the first and second and third and fourth and fifth. So you get the point. Investment. Denim drives by. Denim on his way to work, he drives by. And he appreciates it because I've talked to him about my yard. He appreciates it, but he don't appreciate it like me. And all you people, y'all don't even know about my grass, man. But now you know, right? You can appreciate it. But, but you get the point, right? Like there's an investment. We care. And this is what God is calling us to in this strategic city, the city of Boston, and it's a, a city that now we have the opportunity to live out what we see in this story of Jesus, who is unlike Jonah. Jonah hated his enemies, and he actually hated God for loving his enemies, and yet in Jesus, we see Jesus dying for his enemies and offering them life. And so this is why we serve Medford. This is why we do what we do. This is why we're about what we're about this week. It's to love and serve our city like God has loved and served us. And so I just want to ask you three questions as we wrap up our time here. And I want you to take these questions and I want you to pray on these questions today. We're going to sing and respond and then we're going to pray and respond. But I want you to ask and answer these three questions. Listen, who can you invite? 
We've talked a lot about in 2017 an invitational culture, right? That, that we want to, at least one time a month, we want to offer an irresistible invitation. You say define irresistible. Nothing's irresistible. Probably not. But, but it gets at the point of we want our invitations to be personal, meaningful, compelling. You know what I'm saying? And when John, Pastor John, preached on why multiply a few weeks ago, I got to tell you, man, I walked out of here and I needed that. I was convicted and I didn't feel too hot that day because you know what? This early part of this year, even though I feel like I should be setting a great example, I would say my example was pretty suspect. It was all right. I might have hit one a, one a month for sure, but, but it wasn't at the, the pace and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, what God has called and assigned me to. Um, I, I've, I've made some changes in the past couple of weeks. And so perhaps that's, that's where you are today. It's like, God, you have invited me into this life of Christ. Now you send me out to invite others in. So invite someone you to go serve this week at Serve Medford. Go move some mulch around at a park. Make it a better, like invite a family to movie night. How will you serve this week? We have given you in the worship guide a, 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 a handout of the different opportunities this week. So you can see uh, Tuesday, ref- ref- refresh the Totlot Playground at Barry Park. Community group's going to be there uh, doing some, some different uh, work and some different fun activities on Tuesday night. Same thing Wednesday night. Same thing Thursday night. Wednesday, there's a traveling playgroup with the Medford Family Network where you're going to serve them on Wednesday. Then we have the movie. Like, you see all these different options. How will you serve this week? Surely not all of you can like, take all week off work. We're not asking for that. But surely each one of us can do one thing this week to serve Medford, to show Medford the love of Christ with no strings attached. Who will you invite? How will you serve? And then finally, when will you share? The whole book of Jonah is predicated on God's assignment for Jonah to go speak his message to the people. And we have a better message than Jonah, right? We have the story of Jesus. We have his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his glorious resurrection. And now Jesus invites us to go and share that story as those changed by his grace. So what I want to do, I want to invite Dan and the team out. I want to lead us in a time of prayer just for a moment. We're going to sing. Then Pastor Reddy's going to come out, and he's going to lead us in a focused time of prayer as we launch into Serve Medford Week. But would you pray just as we, we move in? God, would you give us your heart? Give us your heart. Help us to love as you love. Help us to be like Jesus, to love and serve others. Father, we are grateful for this story of your heart for your city. And God, we ask that you would give us your heart for this city, the city that you've placed us. One of the greatest, literally, it's not an overstatement, one of the greatest cities on the planet, Boston, Massachusetts. God, one of the most strategic cities in the world. Lord, help us to make a difference where you place us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, at the playground, when we're cleaning it up, when we're serving families a a cold uh, water bottle, whatever it is that we're doing, God, would you move us to love like you've loved, to serve like you've served, and to represent you as the hands and feet of Christ as we go about our business this week 
and every week. So Father, would you empower us as we respond to sing to you in worship, to chase after you in prayer and to move out from this place ready to love and serve others. We pray this in the name of Christ, amen.